Hello and welcome to the Refugees and Host Communities News Podcast from north of Uganda, an area that is home to about 1 million South Sudanese refugees and asylum seekers. I am Winnie Serino and today... So my first reaction was anger, was frustration. We look at harrowing experience of child abuse in this podcast. But first, these are our main stories making the news with Jackie Aduri in the north of Uganda. Thank you so much, Winnie. Now, although South Sudanese transitional government, which was as a result of the peace deal, continues to function, feeling of the general public is that it is so shaky. South Sudanese refugees living in Uganda feel disappointed and frustrated. New reports are suggesting many children experience some form of abuse, especially by the people they stay with. Between within just a month or so, Police registered 126 cases of child abuse within refugee settlements in Uganda. Generally, majority believe this is only the tip of the iceberg. Apart from food aid, it will seem non-food items are supplied once to refugees and asylum seekers, usually on their arrival. For years on, since South Sudanese refugees arrived in the north of Uganda, most of their basic non-food materials they received are worn out. They feel neglected. With tens of thousands of court cases awaiting hearing, there is huge backlog in the judiciary of Uganda. Hence, tens of thousands of individuals are languishing in dirty, smelly and overcrowded prisons across the country. A such seemingly brilliant idea of bringing justice closer to the people is now here. It is called Mobile Court. This is the Refugees Plus Host Communities News Podcast from north of Uganda. On imposing a lockdown in Uganda, many things changed. Life as we know it was completely turned over with consequences. In general, most of the consequences of lockdown were hurting. Almost all aspects of life were affected. Many individuals are finding it hard to recover, even for life, amid disruptions due to effects of coronavirus pandemic. Here in north of Uganda, one of the most impoverished regions of the country, it is going to take populations here a long time to realign their lives again. For example, social fabrics within both refugee and host communities are put to test. Our reporter Doreen Bazio is in Germany, where the number of refugees is almost equal to the number of nationals. She sent us this report. The lockdown is necessary to reduce the community spread of the coronavirus disease, but it also has serious ecological and socially disruptive consequences. This is known as the lockdown paradox that also includes a surge in the cases of gender-based violence. Nagoja refugee settlement in Germany, women have not just lost their livelihoods, but their marriages are at the verge of collapsing because of domestic gender-based violence. Genoa 33 is among the women that are caught up in this paradox. She explains how was. I have been having misunderstanding in the house because my husband cannot go out to look for money and yet I feel the burden of taking care of the family has been left on me. According to Aya Lydian, a refugee leader in the same settlement, domestic violence increased during the lockdown because of the reduction in the monthly food rations received by the refugees. Due to this lockdown, we cannot even bring, bring commodities to resell in the, in the camp. The food ratio is now reducing. Now it is affecting the whole of the family, but not, not only women, even the children are suffering. Specifically in this in the block where I am, it is for over four four women who have gone every day fighting. Hundreds people are fighting there. The increase in the number of domestic violence cases has attracted the attention of many implementing partners. Christine Janjoa, a field officer with Women's International Peace Center, based in Germany, says they have already started making interventions in this settlement. They are using community and peace activists to preach reconciliation, while at the same time extending support to those already affected. During our intervention with the, especially the community activists, we are able to hope up these ladies by giving them a little bit of soap, sugar, cooking oil, sanitary parts, and uh, other things. Issues concerning violence is a little bit too high. 
they are unable really to support themselves because previously they have been selling out. They cannot sell even when they take things to the market to sell. People don't buy because there is really no money. And even coupled with the ratio of food that has reduced, it has increased the violence against them more. According to a 2020 report by UNHCR, the loss of income within the household has contributed to an increased incidence of gender-based violence. Negative coping mechanisms such as survival sex and sale of alcohol. 53% of girls and 46% of women aged 18 to 24 years reported an additional unpaid work burden such as cooking, household collecting firewood and fetching water. 10% of key informants cited child marriage as one of the negative coping strategies families were forced to resort to to make up for this lost livelihood. On arrival, refugees receive assistance support usually led by UN agency UNHCR. Apart from food aid, non-food items are usually supplied once. Four years on, since South Sudanese refugees arrived in the north of Uganda, most of their basic non-food materials they received are worn out. They feel neglected. Juruga Samuel visited refugees living in Uganda's largest refugee settlement. He sent us this report. Such survival materials include blankets, tarpaulins, hand hose, and mats, among others. Every refugee you meet will tell you that since they cannot afford to buy any of the items they need in their everyday life, they have had to recycle nearly every single material they received upon their arrival many years ago. Betty Kiko arrived in this refugee camp five years ago after she fled South Sudanese violent conflict during the height of the country's violent conflict. At the height of the influx of refugees and asylum seekers seeking safety in the neighboring Uganda, some refugees missed out on survival kits they were supposed to get. She only received a few of them. Things like saucepans, I've never gotten them at all. To be sincere, since arrival, I got blanket and carpet just at arrival. But things like house or patients have all missed me. As for groups, yes, they do give, but like for me, I am not in a group. I don't have strength for group. You need to have strength to be in group, but things like the carpets are really important. But still, even those non-food items she, Kiko, received are worn out. She and her fellow refugees have had to share the few remaining items amongst themselves at times. Kiko comes from a farming community of South Sudan's central equatorial state, a population that survives on the crops they grow. She wants so much to maintain such life even here in Bidibidi, which became her home. With the rain season coming soon, just like Kiko, majority are worried. They may not be able to do some gardening in time due to lack of hand holes they desperately need, especially at a time like this. Majority of these refugees do some gardening around their 30 by 30 pieces of land. The crops they grow do not only ensure a balanced diet, but they supplement their decreased food rations too. These refugees mostly plant vegetables. Authorities are aware about this lack, but with the funding decreasing, they cannot help. Regional refugee desk officer in the office of the Prime Minister, Osakan Solomon, insists that the time the refugees have spent in the camps, coupled with the efforts of the organizations, have been sufficient enough for them to be able to acquire such items on their own. Non-food items or NFIs, they are normally given once to refugees when they arrive. And over a period of time, they should be able to buy their own things and to use. However, if there is a massive failure by all the communities to buy, members of communities who revisit and re-evaluate and then do assessment and see if some small quantities of NFIs can be given again. Not all. Some. He adds that the refugees should put more efforts in trying to improve their standards of living by adopting all possible solutions within their reach and urged the youths to build stronger relationships with their counterparts from the host community. He thinks such relationships should help refugees build their lives easier instead of depending on humanitarian aid. The officer wants refugees to forge a relationship that will ensure they are in position to borrow and at least share such items they need with the members of their host communities. South Sudan's recent conflict first broke out in 2013. 
on declining in its intensity, another one broke out in 2016, pushing millions out of their homes, spearheaded by the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, in Eastern Africa, a peace deal was signed majorly to end the brutality against conflicting sides and more so ending unnecessary plight of civilians who were caught up in the violent conflict. Now, although South Sudanese transitional government, which was a result of the peace deal, continues to function, the feeling of the general public is that it is so shaky. South Sudanese refugees living in various refugee settlements in the north of Uganda continue to share the impression that South Sudan transitional government is weak. Mary Mande did a quick roundup on the topic amongst her fellow refugees in Uganda's largest refugee settlement, Bidibidi, and majority sounded disappointed and frustrated too. Take a listen. Um, my name is Leong Masi, age 17. All they are doing is just to whitewash everything that has been done in the country the due course of the war. And I personally have no hope for this peace deal because we are already five years in camp and the government is still continuing to talk about peace without implementation. I am Maris Kepo, 30 years of age. They need to observe total peace and commit themselves to the signed peace. The two leaders should build strong unity and love among themselves and move forward together. My name is Sarah Gune. I am 15 years old. We are tired of staying in the camp. We have the zeal of returning back to South Sudan. My name is Charles Wane. I am 45 years old. We are so tired of the war in South Sudan. We need comprehensive and permanent peace in South Sudan. Not one year, not two years, but lasting peace. Pony Joyce, I am 40 years. People are in trouble, people in pain. The peace that they're signing is just a game, especially those bodies which are supporting the nation. They are trying to con them so that they can receive money to buy more guns. These guns are just to come and destroy the nation, disorganize. Two leaders have to step down, then they shall have a change of the nation. I'm Andrew Rodanya, 38 years old. We don't need any nonsense from them. We need peace so that we can go back home. My name is Awate Sarah. I'm 27 years old. It's actually a long process. And we, as the refugees in the camp, we are now tired of waiting for the peace for many years. So as for me, I am ready to go back to our country, South Sudan. In Bidibidi still, new reports are suggesting many children experience some form of abuse especially by the people they stay with. Between January and early February, police registered 126 cases of child abuse within refugee settlements in the north of Uganda. And surprisingly, this is only the tip of the iceberg, according to Uganda police. Monday report. A day of this 13-year-old, Emmanuel Bidali, he starts as early as 8 a.m. and it ends when the sun goes to sleep. By then, he would have tracked all many streets of Africa's largest refugee camp, Bidibidi. He hawks, snacks, and he is not about to give up on it. I am selling fried peanuts. I have started selling peanuts some time back because my father is not there and my mother cannot help me. So this seemingly hungry money, and thirsty boy so goes on to narrate how the money he will get at the end of the like day will be used. He wishes the cars would be enough to enable him buy him one underwear. On a good day, Bidal says he makes 5,000 Ugandan ceilings, which is approximately 1.5 US dollar. He says many times such money is used to take care of his family, which is headed by a woman he calls his mother. But child protection angels and police alike assume activities such as Bidali's are a total child abuse. The community development officer who deals with the protection of children in the region of West Nile, Andra Edwards, says such things should not be happening. Seeing children like Bidali selling mostly snacks, usually they carry in their hands and the head is common, especially in refugee settlement areas. Andra calls the situation as unfortunate. The officer is totally aware, but he says he cannot comprehend anyone, given the current situation majority of people within refugee settlements are in. Very aware of that. What is periodically provided for their survival are not sufficient to sustain them. May bring in elements of crime, 
should not only be among the refugees. In Rob blames the harrowing situation that has contributed to child abuse to poverty that has engulfed both refugees and their hosts alike. According to a report by the Office of Women and Child Protection Unit, there has seen rise in the cases of child abuse. Anguio Jimmy represents the office and is overwhelmed. Anguio thinks South Sudan as well as this part of Uganda are losing a future if nothing is done to help children at this stage. Reported is 126. That's the total. They are, really, they are in court. Seven of them still under investigation. Now the family can also say, ah, you are not useless person in the family. You are not a loner and I said, reliability. Therefore, she will get a challenge. After getting the challenges, she will either walk away, end up in the street. And what is he coming to practice on the street? Prostitution, even nuggery. And we believe such numbers are just the tip of the iceberg. He thinks the problem is even much bigger than anyone can ever assume. With the humanitarian aid decreasing, Anguio says we are likely to see many more Bidalis come to streets of not only this Africa's largest refugee camp, but to all the other refugee settlements located in Uganda. With tens of thousands of court cases awaiting hearing, there is huge backlog in the judiciary of Uganda. Hence, tens of thousands of individuals are languishing in dirty, smelly and overcrowded prisons across the country. Many inmates have never had a chance to have their cases heard. The judicial system lacks manpower due to the insufficient funding. But amid challenges of limited resources, one extraordinary move is bringing justice closer to people, especially refugees, who are usually located long distances away from towns where courts are usually found. As such, seemingly brilliant idea of bringing justice closer to people is now here. It's called mobile courts. Atim Pamela is in the north of Uganda and now reports. That is a clear indication that the magistrate of this court, sitting in this remote area of Invepi refugee settlement of majorly South Sudanese refugees, is ready to start proceeding. During this proceeding, middle-aged Lemmy Kennedy is giving his own defense to the magistrate after being accused of assaulting his wife. Senior lawyer of Uganda Law Society, Komakech Dennis Atine, is happy seeing such court proceedings in this remote area. According to the lawyer, mobile courts is simply taking the courts from towns where it usually sits. This was due to one challenge court encountered. And one of the things that we discovered in most of these cases is that, uh, one, witnesses tend not to come to the courts because the courts are far away from the settlement. Um, and you find out that these are very crucial witnesses who are supposed to be testifying. So it became a little bit hard for them. The other aspect is that uh, there are times when the accused person also, one, either they are granted bail, then the issue of transport also becomes a challenge to them because they don't have uh, any source of income that probably they can use for purposes of accessing court which is within the urban setting. The judiciary together with refugee activity implementing organizations mobilize refugees to gather at one place within a given refugee settlement for a hearing. According to the resident state attorney Harita Dubango, this way of handling cases is such a brilliant idea. So far, we've been handling our mobile courts with the magistrates. So that means the cases we've been handling are criminal cases which fall within the jurisdiction of magistrates, from chief to grade one. Actually, we've registered a lot of success in terms of prosecution in these camps through the mobile courts because the witnesses are readily available and we've been successfully prosecuting. Three years on, over 2,000 cases have so far been handled within refugee settlements. This has played a great role in reducing case backlog. As this session ends, with winning side jubilating, yet another case awaits hearing. One by one, justice shall be given to those refugees who deserve it. Same court will travel to all the other refugee settlements located along South Sudan-Uganda border area to handle cases already waiting. Also in this podcast, so my first reaction was anger, was frustration, and normally when such cases are reported to me, my first reaction would be, let's get this person to a health facility, make sure the person gets the best support they can. But then at this point I realized because this was so close to my heart, 
the only thing I thought about was justice needed to be done. I didn't even think about the, the health of my niece. I thought about this like two days later. Now, did you know, mostly women and girls suffer violence and abuse silently in the name of culture and religion in the north of Uganda. Such numbers are staggering, and Arua, a district in the region, is believed to be at the top of the list. In today's podcast, our producer and editor, Ronald Lomora, speaks with one of East Africa's gender-based violence, conflict management and peace-building specialist, Irene Dawa. Unfortunately, Irene's own 12-year-old niece was raped by her own school teacher just a few weeks ago. The young girl's private parts were injured as a result. For Irene, this incident should be a wake-up call. She wishes concerted efforts were made towards combating such cancerous habits that are usually swept under the carpet, especially in her own community. Take a listen. I saw your sad Facebook post about your niece who was raped by actually a head teacher. How did it happen? My niece was uh, staying with uh, this head teacher. According to her father and because these days uh, schools um, are very fond of children who are very brilliant and my niece was seen as a potential candidate who would get a first grade in this school so the head teacher um, requested that my niece comes to to stay with him um, so that he will be able to coach her with uh, you know some of the teachers and she would get a first grade. This is a very, very sad story. After receiving such horrible news, I know it's not easy for you actually. How did you feel? I remember my heart sank at that point. And uh, I lost a sense of my professionalism. After all these years of, of dealing with uh, SGBV survivors, um, at that point, I didn't think exactly what I should do. By the way, how is the situation of this poor girl now, um, Eunice? These two weeks she has been with me. She has been seen uh, a psychologist at uh, Doctors Without Borders. But she, she has mood swings. At certain points she's fine. At certain point you see she's really down. And she said she wants to see her mama. And her mother is not here. Her mother is in Rwanda. Her mother and, and the father separated. And I can see that's having an impact on her. Um, she, needs, um, she needs always somebody to be close to her, to talk to her. She's uh, very afraid. Well, like when somebody shows up on the compound abruptly, she, she reacts. And so... Um, I think it will take some time for her to completely recover from that trauma. But of course, once somebody is raped like that, it's a wound that can never be healed. Yeah. What do you want to see as far as this case is concerned and why? As far as I know, the police have uh, uh, documented all the evidences. Um, my hope is that no one tampers with the evidence. So the fact that the guy was arrested, I think that was good for me. Uh, but you know, the Ugandan justice system can easily be bought. So what I don't know is whether um, all the evidence is there in the file, because I don't have access to the file. Uh, I need a lawyer to have access to the file. I believe this girl has gone through a very, very terrible devastation. So you as a family, do you have a plan for her, or what is your plan as a family? My cousins were pushing this girl's father to withdraw the case. And they said they wanted this issue to be settled home. And I even overheard one of my cousins saying, you know, uh, even if you put this girl behind bars, uh, after years, this guy will be, you know, he will come out and you'll get nothing out of the girl. And then I said, this girl is not a Zamva. Zamva in Lubara means uh, uh, a girl who is, is, is ready to get married and brings cows. Because Zamva means, uh, uh, literally translating, Za is meat, Mva is child. So Zamva, so the girl child 
is actually is translated into meat. So I told them we are talking about we are not talking about zamba, we are talking about mva, which is a child. So this is a child. Zamba, this girl has not matured. And so I told them no one should even think about getting something out of this girl. All we want is to get for her justice. So now, if you're asking me as a family, you're asking me and her father, because the rest of the other family members are saying what we're doing is wrong. But I'm, I'm telling them what you're doing is actually against international laws. It's against the laws of this country. You could actually be put behind bars by tampering with justice for this girl, because this is state versus this man who raped this girl. It's not a case between this girl and the man, because this girl is a child, she's a minor. And so the plan the father and I have is to follow this case to the end, to make sure that this man gets the maximum sentence that he deserves for what he has done. And that this must never repeat itself. So this is the plan. And I must say, I'm not doing this as a family, I'm afraid. I'm doing this as a professional. Because as a family, I have no authority over this girl. Because she is not my child. She is my cousin's child. And so it's just because the father gave me the permission to support him, I'm able to do this. But if he changes his mind tomorrow and listens to his brothers and say I'm withdrawing the case, I can absolutely do nothing as a family, but I can still do something as a professional and say, no, you are not doing this. If you do this, I can actually put you behind bars. But as a family, I will not have that authority to take a decision over this car, I'm afraid very complex yeah i know that should be very 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 hard on her actually i wanted to ask you if you were to be in authority what would you do as you irene to the perpetrator first of all he would lose his practicing license as a teacher because i wouldn't like to entrust children in the hands of somebody who is abusing children so that's the first thing i will do apart from him facing the maximum sentence. And I would go to that school and make sure and talk to girls and make to find out if they are girls who have been abused and make sure those girls get justice. I would dig deep to make sure everything that he has done behind the doors is exposed. And for me, that would also pull the ears of the other teachers or people in power who are abusing the people they are being entrusted to take care of. I don't want religion or culture to be a justification to violate people's rights. I want to make that very clear. Yes, they are there to support us morally and socially, but they should not be used as tools to justify any form of violence against women, against children, against boys. And I think that's what I would say. So what about the girl? What did you do if you were the authority? As an authority, I, the first thing I would have done is to have a safe space for these kind of girls, which the government doesn't have. Do you have any other thing you would love to tell me as far as this topic is concerned? Now, um, gender-based violence, especially sexual violence, violence against women and girls is very, very rampant, especially in northern Uganda, West Nile region, and I am told um, uh, Special Arua is, is leading in the country. Um, I don't know exactly why this is, this is happening, um, but I think there's a very, very little focus on this topic in this country, and I, I think it's, it's very, very unfortunate. Um, I was very struck when I was told uh, between um, October to December, there was a statistics of 280 girls being raped in Palorinia refugee settlement, and that just broke my heart. I think as, as professionals, as, uh, as partners, as government, we need to do something to respond to this, because this is a crisis. This is a, this is a public health crisis. Thank you so much, Dawa. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Thank you. So sad to hear such barbarism is still happening during this 21st century. It's really quite sad. 
Anyway, welcome Winnie to give us news from world's youngest country, South Sudan. Thanks Jacqueline. Moving on. Here in South Sudan, some refugees in Tarit are raising concerns over harsh living conditions. The returnees say they can hardly afford meals for their families because of high prices of food. One nutritionist says not eating a balanced diet on time can easily lead to malnutrition. Garang Mabir reports from Tarit. Anna Nakang, a mother of seven children who returned to Ikotos County in December last year, says when she returned, she found her house had collapsed. She says she is currently living under the tree with our children and surviving over the support of our neighbors. Truly, we are just here under a tree. I got my house has collapsed. No way with food neighbors are the ones helping. You go to neighbors, you get something little, you come and give to the children. That is how we are living here. Teresa Lobira, a mother of 11 children, says she works in our neighbor's garden and they pay her one basin of sagam per day to feed her children. She, however, says she benefits from other neighbors too. If I ask the neighbor, then I go and work in her garden and she will give me some sugar. Even the harvest is not successful this year, she will just give me one basin, we will eat for some days, and I will go to another person. Gipti Ajok, another returnee in Turit, says she is facing economic hardship. She says she can hardly buy essential food stuff all because of the high prices of food in the market. You go to the market, things are all expensive. Maize flour 50 kg is 15,000. The money that you get from the husband whose salary is 1,500, what will it buy? If he give me this money, I buy one thing of maize and grant it with 100. Isaac Aliardo, Director General for the Ministry of Agriculture in it says he understands the complaints of the returnees. He says Eastern Equatoria State was rich with food stuff but has become food insecure because of the recent flood of lacas in the villages. If you look actually at the situation of uh, food security in the state, we can say that Eastern Equatorial State is generally food insecure due to so many factors like that have affected the crops. According to food security integrated uh, first classification, some parts of the state are completely free. Like area of uh, Ikotos, there is a failure of crops. And in Capueta, there is a failure that makes them actually at the end food insecure. Like Lafon as well, affected by flood. Antasia Sabasho, Director for Nutrition at Torid State Hospital, says staffing food a family at a high risk of attracting diseases and health conditions such as malnutrition. She says she has seen children who survive on one meal per day with lack of a balanced diet, which is unhealthy. Because of the crisis, people are depending only on one food. And that is why you see a lot of children are coming for OTP. A lot of children are minorities because of that one. The community have no food. You see, analysis was done, IPC analysis. The result was very bad. And South is falling phase four. Phase four is very bad. This year, we expect even manipulation rates will be very high. From March to April, we should expect a lot of children to be minorities. According to the Torrid State Nutrition Department, there are 2,173 children who are severely malnourished, 3,902 children who are moderately malnourished, 116 children with severe medical conditions, and 2,348 mothers who are malnourished in the last three months. Meanwhile, the South Sudan People's Defense Force, or SSPDF, pulled out its forces from the Pagari and Moli areas of Eastern Equatorial State in January to allow refugees to return voluntarily from Uganda. Beatrice Ndaru, representative of the Rehabilitation Reconciliation Commission, or RRC in Nimule, says the presence of the forces in the areas often intimidated and traumatized the people who were returning. James Arusi reports from Juba. After the civil wars in 2013 and 2016, several people from Pangiri and Mali fled to Uganda seeking for safety. Many soldiers are said to have looted and assumed homes of the fleeing civilians right after the conflict. In late January, Major General Johnson Juma Okot, Chief of Staff of South Sudan's People's Defense Force, asked all the soldiers to leave the homes of the returnees, a move which has seen hundreds of refugees returning home. 
Beatrice Ndaru, who represents the Relief and Rehabilitation Commission in Nimle, says more refugees are returning because there are no more soldiers in their homes. It's been a challenge because when people come back, they are looking on the soldiers, they are fearing, but right now people are, uh, these soldiers are removed away from there. I think they, are, they feel that they are secure, they are there in uh, Pageri, Moli, Opari, Mugali and Nimule. Ndaru says the refugees who have returned are facing challenges of lack of essential tools to begin life from scratch. She says there is a need to support the returnees with food, shelter and basic garden tools. We have been reporting that this number is coming back, but there is nothing done at our level here to say that the returnees are host at their home. There is no tool, no carpet, no uh, blankets. NFI is general, not there. So what they do is after coming, they borrow from the, the, the people that do not go back or that, that, do, that do return early so that they can start with. If you go and see the stress on uh, where they are settling, life is hard, children are outside, uh, people, they, even there is no water on the ground, they cannot access the, 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 the health centers because most of the health centers have been even vandalized from our location. So people are finding life is hard. Filippo Grande, Commissioner for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, who visited South Sudan in January to assess the situation of the refugees, says UNHCR is working on plans to assist the government to resettle the returnees. On our side, on UNHCR side, we will help the governments make plans for the return of the people and uh, uh, mobilize the necessary resources. All this is necessary because the refugees and the displaced people need to be convinced that it is safe to go back, that they don't have to face risks, violence, especially women, that they don't, uh, they're not going to be displaced again, and that there will be resources for their future. Grandit says about 300,000 refugees have returned and millions wait to see a more peaceful and secure South Sudan to return home. In September, the United Nations Refugees Agency says since the signing of the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement, more than 205,000 refugees returned to South Sudan, bringing a total number of returnees to 326,481 refugees since November 2017, according to UNHCR data in September last year. Many thanks from me, Winnie Serino, to the entire team of our reporters across South Sudan as well as those spread all over refugee settlement areas in the north of Uganda. Thank you too for listening. Do join our weekly podcast program next week, same time. I leave you with our drama on COVID-19. Take a listen. slips into a shell. To protect itself, the shell covers this irritation with minerals. Layer after layer, a pearl is formed, glowing, luminous and shining. The pearl endures. For us, covering irritation with knowledge, awareness and kindness, it can turn into something beautiful. Welcome to the sixth episode of The Pearl. A weekly radio drama based on sharing information and guidance on COVID-19. Dive into the world of the pal. Hope, have you finished shaking on the baby? Yes, darling. He's sleeping soundly like an angel. It was good he slept on a full stomach. He has not disturbed me. Then come back to bed, darling. Sweetheart, I can't. I'm working on my research. Again? Hope, you hardly slept for an hour. I know you're back to work. Darling, I need to analyze the data for the nasal swabs and the blood specimens from the animal test before my co-workers will come for the results in the early morning. Ah, no, 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 no. That is too much. Eh? You have to take a break from your work. Otherwise, you will break your back. Sweetheart, that is what it means to be a scientist. I can't trust easy with this COVID affecting people without trying to put it in check. Mm -hmm. I can hear you, Madam Doctor. <laughs> scientist. Eh? But as your husband, I'm also worried about your health. Your body needs to rest to be able to function properly. I know. 
but darling, we have to keep on working. We have to make a vaccine that will make the body immune to COVID. You're thinking about everyone else. What about me? What do you mean? Don't you think you're abandoning me? You no longer care about me. Ever since this virus broke out, we no longer go out. You don't call me, send me any messages. I think this COVID has become your husband. Oh, darling, come on. You know I love you. <laughs> this whole corona just has an epic dimension. We are in a worldwide pandemic, and you are complaining that I don't call you often enough? Besides, I think I called you twice today from the office and even prepared our supper. But that is not enough. Basil, is this argument about my well-being? Or are you just being selfish here? Of course I care about us, which you seem to be ignoring. Basil, I think you just want to pick a fight with me. But I have no time for this right now. Please let me finish my work. My colleagues are depending on it and I don't want to let them down. What will they think of me? Hey, so Hope, you don't care about what I think of you, but your colleagues. I can see you're not getting my point. I do understand your concern, but... Ah, 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 but please put those things you're doing away right now and we go to bed. Right now. Basil, don't touch anything. It's really important data. At least I know this computer isn't dangerous. Basil, don't tamper with my work. Leave my computer, please. Basil, you can't be serious. I am more than serious. Okay, let's do this. Give me an hour. And I will be with you. I said you're coming with me to bed. I will not just look on when you're breaking down because of fatigue. Basil, what are you doing? Don't shut my computer down. You're going to mess up my work. Now, let's go. You can continue tomorrow. You have not saved my work, Basil. I have lost everything I have been working on this whole evening. You see? You have even woken up the baby with your yelling. What is wrong with you? This baby should have woken up an hour later. Ah, ah, and now the baby. What about me? You better attend to the baby now. Of course. Oh my goodness, how clumsy of me. Hey, Dr. Hope, are you okay? It's such a mess in here. What has happened? Dr. Jacob, I don't know how to say this, but all the samples have poured. I'm so sorry. What are we going to do now? I am an idiot. Dr. Hope, you are bleeding. The bottles have cut you. It's okay, Jacob. It's a minor wound. I will dress it. Uh, let me help you. Here is the cotton wool. Dr. Jacob, thank you. But I will manage. I am more worried about the samples that have poured. I don't worry too much. There are still some few samples we can work with. What do you mean? Didn't we use all the samples and the other specimens disposed of? Uh, no, I left some. Oh, you have saved the day. What would I have done? For a moment there, I thought we had lost everything. I knew such accidents can occur any time, so I stored some in the fridge, just in case. Talk of the fridge. I forgot to close it after I picked the specimen. Gosh. Ah, it's okay. I closed it. Please forgive me for being so careless today. I can't believe you are picking after me like a child. Ah, it's okay. We are here to support each other. <laughs> a doctor... The team from the other research center are here to look at the report. Already? Yes. Have you finished analyzing the nozzle swabs and the blood specimens of the animals we gave the vaccine? The report is still incomplete. Oh. What are we going to tell them? You said you will be done with it by morning. I should have. I mean, I had even finished it, but... But? Don't mind me. Something silly happened along the way. Dr. Hope, is something bothering you? You always deliver on the dot. Always so careful and attentive. Is something the matter? Are you saying I'm incompetent? Because I don't have the report? I can give it to you in the next five minutes. I would actually be done if you were not here making me talk. I don't get defensive hope. I'm your friend and I would love to help. Are you okay? How can I be okay when I'm putting everything on hold? Everyone is waiting for the this... The report can wait a little longer. But can we first talk? Talk about what... I'm okay, Jacob. Uh, Doctor Hope, I have worked with you for years. And you are the wife to my good friend, Basil. I know something is not right. We are okay. Everything is okay. Are you sure you don't want to tell me something? Actually, it's because of your friend. Basil, my husband. I knew something was bothering you. What about Basil? 
He is starting to make my work so hard. What do you mean? The person I know is always very supportive. Nowadays he's complaining that I'm overworking. And he has even started to make it difficult for me to concentrate or even do my work. Basil? Yes, Basil. I now can't work from home anymore. Why can't you work from home anymore? Basil won't let me. He keeps complaining and does not give me space. Can you imagine he shut my computer last night by force without saving my work? That is how I ended up doing this whole report again. And that is why I haven't delivered it. Now it's getting tricky. More tricky than you can imagine. I am afraid he might force me to abandon the project. It is either him or the vaccine. Has he said that? Not directly, but I can read his thought. He's my husband. Ah, no, that can't happen. We need your input in finding the vaccine to COVID. We can't lose such a brilliant mind as yours. I don't know. Basil is becoming impossible. And we have a baby together. I can't let him go. Ah, Basil is my friend. I was the best man to your wedding. I think I can talk to him. And do you think he will listen? Hey, Dr. Ho, do you think we can take our orders for food now? Let's first wait for Basil to come. We can be sipping on the sodas. By the way, Jacob, how many samples have come in for analysis today? I need to start on them early enough. You know, I can only work at office. Working from home is not an option anymore. Uh, for now, let's see how this talk will turn out. Home might still be available for you to work from. You need to take care of your baby too. So, we need to find a way to make this work. And we will. I wish Basil can be more understanding. Uh, where is he, by the way? Did he change his mind about coming? I hope not. He's so upset these days about everything. Uh, don't worry, we'll talk it through. I'm not only your boss, but also your best man. Don't forget. <laughs> and I need you for this work. Talk of the devil. Here he comes. Oh, my prayers, exactly. <laughs> uh, hello, Basil! So nice to see you. Ah, thank you. Ah, you sitting there reminds me of our wedding meetings we used to hold, the three of us. Eh? Hey, and they turned out well. Hey. Ah, look at you, two lover birds <laughs> with the fruit of a child now. <laughs> My brother, happy to see you. Hey, me too. It's been a while. You never leave your laboratory. <laughs> Have a seat. We make our order. We have been waiting for you. I'm hungry. Me too. What would you want to have, my love? I could order the same as yours. Hey, wait, before you make any orders. Why did you call me here? Is this a conspiracy? Uh, Basil, what are you insinuating? Are you saying we can no longer meet to have fun? Fun? <laughs> I'm actually surprised you are not in your courts discussing vaccines. You guys no longer have a life. But don't you think it's for a good cause? I, I don't care. I just don't like seeing my wife buried in work with no time for anything else. But honey, I have always tried to balance work home and us. <laughs> Which us? When you spend the whole day and night working, and when you have free time, you look after the baby. Listen to yourself. You are just selfish. Uh, hey, people. Uh, we are not here to fight. We are here to find a solution to this dilemma. Uh, Basil, I want you to... Uh, so you call this my fault? Is that why you called me here? Uh, not at all, Basil. I was saying I want you to see it as a mission. A mission to make a vaccine that will make the body immune to COVID. And with a mission such as this, it was a lot of sacrifice and selflessness. Mm. Sacrifices on my part. Things cannot be business as usual. If we are to rid people of this deadly disease such as the corona. Do you remember our OB Josiah who had become a very prominent businessman? Hey, I know he died of COVID. Man, this COVID has robbed us of such an intelligent man. I used to drink from his bar. Now you can see. He's no more. We are losing lives to this COVID and his scientists like us to provide a solution by finding a vaccine. But for how long will this be? I feel it's taking forever. At first, I let hope work as hard as she could. But I don't see this ending. We have conducted several trials and it's promising. We have some breakthroughs. Finding a vaccine is a process. Hey. It goes through a lot of scrutiny. I thought you'd be ready with it months ago. I thought we could throw away these masks and those other policies. We won't rest until we get it. Meanwhile, you will still have to put on the mask 
and keep social distance as we continue working on the vaccine. But what about me? Eh? Hope is ignoring me. Uh, Dr. Hope is not ignoring you. She thinks day and night about you, but she also thinks about the vaccine. And you should be a man enough to let her do her work. I promise to give you more time. But please know, this is my world. Remember, you met me working in the laboratory. And you promised to support my work. It's not that I don't want you to work. But I feel you are over-concentrating on your work and leaving me alone. Sorry for making you feel like that. I will try to improve. Uh, at the end of the day, the credit will be for both of you. As they announce Hope as one of those who discovered the vaccine, you will also be in the limelight. Mm, yes. Hey, I'm so proud of you. Hmm? We go to the conference, holding hands and standing beside each other as Hope gives a speech of the breakthrough. Huh? <laughs> right, my love? Of course, my love. Working hard does not mean I don't think of you. I love you, my dear. To the moon and back. <laughs> don't forget I'm still here, you too. Oh, <laughs> yes. Darling, please bear with my working nights. We can't rest easy before we find that vaccine. But at least there is hope. Okay. I will try my best to support you on this. Thank you. Yeah, now I think we can make our orders. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pearl. Everyone can stop the spread of COVID-19 by knowing the facts and sharing them with friends and family. In episode 6, we have learned, even though there isn't a vaccine yet for COVID-19, scientists are trying their level best to find it, and we should be patient and support them as much as we can. And even though there is hope for a vaccine in the near future, we should continue to protect ourselves by wearing masks, social distancing, avoiding crowded places, and practicing excellent hand hygiene. Don't forget to join us next week for yet another episode of The Pearl. In case you missed parts of this episode or would like to listen to the dramas once again, please dial Airtel 161. You can also participate in our weekly WhatsApp quiz in regards to COVID-19 and win UGX 20,000 mobile airtime with your correct answers. Simply write hi and send to 059-895-135 to take the quiz. Terms and conditions apply. The PAL is produced by Media Incorporation and Transition, MICT in collaboration with this radio station, a partner of the East Africa Radio Service, EAS. For more information, visit www.ears.ug.